thank you so much for that. You're in Nehemiah chapter 8 this morning. And again, I want to, this uh, particular thought that we're going to look at this morning, if you've been with me for a while, uh, about every six, seven years, uh, it seems like the Lord brings us back. So again, you might say, well, I've heard that message before. And uh, obviously the Lord knows you need it again. So again, you know, the other thing we have to remember too is I, I, I really honestly, um, I'm very conscious of preaching a message that people have heard before. And it's just, I don't know, I think it's just part of just my thinking. Um, it's like preaching Christmas every year. I want something new and you can't really change the Christmas story. And I mean, you could and people do, but you can't really. So, um, but uh, there are certain things that are good, like as he said in Philippians 3, verse number one, that it's, it's good for us to, he said, it's not a grief to me, but it's good for me to say it again. And the same thing in a new person coming to the church, a new Christian, it's good for them to understand. So this morning, Nehemiah chapter 8 is really referring to um, what happened in the Old Testament, they're bringing the people together and them having what we would call a church service. And I know it's not a church service, but there's much that, that we do in our church service. And I think that we take a lot of it from, from Nehemiah chapter 8. And uh, I don't think that a person's wrong for duplicating what took place at a congregational meeting in the image of we'll, we'll look at it and then hopefully you'll have an understanding of the, of the passage and then uh, again we'll give some thoughts from it this morning. Um, Church, I want to read Nehemiah chapter 8 and um, I'm going to just, I want to read a few verses with you. So if you'll follow along with me uh, in Nehemiah chapter 8, let's pick it up in verse uh, number 1. Church, before we, before we get started, let's pray together. Father, thank you again for your word. I ask again now for liberty this morning. Lord, help all, all of us as a congregation, Lord, not just to think, okay, well, read my Bible, pray, go to church, give all these things that we seemingly here again and again. May we not take it for granted, and may we understand the importance of it. Lord, help us understand that your word is exceeding broad, and because we hear something that we've heard before does not make it any less important. Lord, I ask you to please again use it in our hearts and lives this morning. Help the person that might be here not saved, help them understand that more important than going to church is them knowing for sure they're on their way, on their way to heaven. And um, Lord, help us as Christians, Lord, have a conviction, Lord, in our heart about church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Uh, I was at a service this last week, I think it was with the college, and a fellow got up to preach, and he said, you know, there's a difference between preferences and conviction, and I thought he portrayed it very, very well. You know, he said, I have a preference when it comes to what car I buy. He says, I have a preference as far as what house I might live in, but he says, I have a conviction about the Word of God, and I think that we ought to have a conviction about the Word of God. In other words, we believe that it's the very Word of God, and we believe that what God tells us in it is how we're supposed to live our life. And uh, we all fall and we all come short of doing exactly what the scripture says, but we ought to do our best to try to make sure that we follow it. And so this morning, when we look at the church service, can I just tell you that this might not be a perfect church service in the sense of what we have and what we do and, and of those things, but what makes the service important is this is where we meet with the Lord. And so this morning, that's what I want to also. So grab your Bible now, Nehemiah chapter 8. Let's look at it, pick it up in verse number 1. It says, And all the people gathered themselves together as one man, uh, into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday before the men and the women and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. And then the Lord was so gracious to put all these hard names in the rest of verse number four. All right, and I want you to read those silently while I jump to verse five. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. 
Again, he starts with all these names. Also, Jeshua and Bani and Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, Shabbatai, Hadijah, Messiah, Kalida, Azariah, Jazabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites. I don't know why he just put Joe and Henry and Fred, but... And what did these fellows do? In verse 7, it says, He caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. I want to read out loud together verse number 8. Would you read it out loud with me? So they read in the book in the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which is the Tershatha, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people this day, Is holy unto the Lord your God, mourn not nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Now think about that. All the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them to, for, whom, for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stirred, I'm sorry, stilled all the people, saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy. Neither be ye grieved. Verse 12, And all the people went their way to eat, and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. All right, now, church family, let's summarize the, the thought and then we're going to walk through this, these verses again uh, this morning. So Ezra the scribe, uh, Ezra the priest, when he comes before the people, Nehemiah is there obviously. This is the book of Nehemiah chapter 8. We all understand Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah gets burdened about building, rebuilding the wall. Uh, Nehemiah chapter number 2, he gets permission from the king. Nehemiah chapter 3 uh, is the workers as far as who is going to work. Nehemiah chapter 4, 5, and 6 uh, is the uh, confrontation and the struggle he had as far as building it. And uh, I think Nehemiah chapter 7 was the genealogies of the people that were there. But in chapter number 8, when we get here, all the people come together. The wall is now built. The people are come together. They're in by the, by the water gate. They're out in the street. Uh, my take is thousands of people are there based upon the people who are building the wall. And all of a sudden, Ezra has this time that he speaks to them, and he, and, he, and he speaks the word of God to them, and he reads it to them. And I love verse number 8, that that's exactly what, that's what preaching is supposed to be in verse number 8. So they read in the book, in the law of God, distinctly, and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And so that's what Ezra did. Ezra did. And when they understood the reading, they were grieved. You know, these people say, uh, you know, I don't know why we come to church and you don't have to feel like the pastor stepped on our toes, okay? Can I just tell you that the word of God sometimes brings sorrow to our heart because we're not doing what God wants us to do. Amen. And then what, what did he did, Ezra, before they left? He encouraged them. Now listen, don't be grieved. He says, go out and give portions to those that are in need. And of course, that's what we do as Christians. We go out. And what do they need? They need the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we leave here, sometimes we leave grieved because we're not the Christian we should be, but we go out and do what God commanded us to do, and that's tell a lost, lying, dying world that Jesus loved them and died for them, all right? Now, this morning, can I just walk through this with you? And again, I think we take a lot of our church service from this, and I want to just point out some things uh, with you this morning that, that are repetitive, several things that are repetitive and some things that are not. But look at verse number one with me. Here's what he says in verse number one. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man. Now, I want you to notice the second word, there it says the word all. All right. Now, if you look at verse number three, it says, and he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from morning until midday before the men and the women and those that could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive. You're going to find that in verse number six. You're going to find that in verse number nine. You're going to find that in verse number 12, that all the people were there. So when I look at this, as far as a church service, or I look at the pattern that we have, I just want you to know everybody was there. All right. Now, this morning, what a wonderful congregation that we have this morning. It's nice to see the, the house of the Lord filled this morning. And, but there's still room for more. And I want to tell you something. Church ought to be part of your schedule that doesn't change. There's a lot of things that change. Church should not change. Hey, 
I know there's a lot of churches that change their services. That's between them and God, okay? We still have church on Wednesday night, and I don't care if Wednesday night is before Thanksgiving. Now, I know there's a lot of churches. Thanksgiving is on Thursday. So what we're going to do is we're going to have our, 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 our service on Tuesday so that the family can be together on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. I don't care if just my family is here. We're still having church on Wednesday night. You say, do you have a Bible verse for that? No, the only Bible verse I can tell you is not forsaking the assembly of yourselves. That's the day we chose to be here. All right? If a person wants to have church on Tuesday, if they want to have church on Thursday, they want to have church on Friday, they want to have church all week, God bless them. All right? Some of you say God bless them and not us. All right? But I'm just trying to say is that, that, that when it comes to church, you ought to have it on your schedule that that's, that's where we're going to be. There's 52 weeks in a year. Guess what? That means you should be in 52 Sunday school hours. That means you should be in 52 morning services. That means you should be in 52 evening services. That means you should be in 52 Wednesday night services. Amen. All, all four of you agree. God bless you. All right? Thank you so much. Hey, I'm just telling you that we have made so many other things important than the church service. I had a person one time that said, you know, I would come to Sunday school, but I just don't, I, I'm going to come for the morning service. Their thought was the morning, the Sunday school and the morning and the evening service, all the service were the same. We just preached the same message each time. Now, to be honest with you, I think it's a great idea. It would save me a lot of work. All right. But, but I want to just tell you, I had another person tell me, hey, listen, I think that we should have a Bible study. I know of a good Bible study. Show up for Sunday school. Can I just tell you that you ought to put on your schedule Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And by the way, if you're not here, I'm not keeping record of it. That's between you and God. But I'm just trying to tell you that the scripture says pretty clearly, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. Yeah. Guess what that means? I'm going I'm to tell you what it means. Not forsaking the assembling of yourself together. Yeah. I know that's pretty deep, okay? So let me slow it down. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. You know what that means? Show up for church. That's what it means. And I know the rest of the verse says, as their manner of some is. And I know in the congregation this morning, there's some of you that, that you don't have a conviction. That's fine. But at least let me preach what the word of God says. Okay. And I know, I, you know, I just, I just can't. That's, that's an awful lot of church. I'm afraid I might get too much church. Yes. And you might start getting right with God too. You might start reading your Bible on your own. You might start telling somebody about Jesus Christ. You might stop doing those things you know you shouldn't be doing. Church is important. You know, we use church as a side item, you know. It's like going to the buffet, you know. When you go to the buffet, you put the chicken on there, you put the meatballs on there, you might put a little steak on, on your plate, and you come down to those other things like the asparagus and the, and the Brussels sprouts and the broccoli, and you think to yourself, ah, I don't think I really need that. Can I just tell you, church is not the Brussels sprout. Church is the steak. That's why he tells, in the scriptures in 1 Peter chapter 5, he talks to the man of God. He says, listen, feed the flock of God. It's where we open up the book and where the word of God speaks to us. And can I just tell you, we're doing right now what verse number 8 says. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly. You know what that means? It means clearly. Hey, by the way, I think that we got a pretty clear book. The Bible you hold in your hand, King James Version of the Bible, the Bible you hold in your hand is written on a fifth grade level. It's not that difficult to understand. Well, Pastor, I just, you know, that book, I just need a Bible, you know, it doesn't have all the these and thous. I need a Bible that, you know, it's just, a, it's just so easy to understand. You can't get much better than fifth grade, all right? If you're below fifth grade, I'll read it to you, all right? But can I just tell you, the book that you hold in your hand is important. And when we come to, this, come to the church house, we're not going to get up and not, and give a, a, a period, read from a periodical. I'm going to tell you something. I'm so thankful I'm not watching news right now because I want to tell you, I wouldn't be preaching the book. There are so many things going on in this world that are so crazy as I listen to talk to people about this, talk to people about that. I'm so glad I'm not consumed with that. You know what we ought to be consumed with? We come to church so we can talk to God. 
And so God can speak to us. How does he do that? We read distinctly from God's word. And then he says next in verse number eight, what else? And they gave the sense. The sense, what's the sense? It means the meaning. Listen, I know that there's oftentimes a pastor will get up and that God does what he wants, but a person will use one verse of scripture. They don't tell really what the verses before they're talking about or the verses after are talking about it. But can I just tell you, when Ezra got up, when he read the law, he told him what it meant. Uh, Ezra's preaching and speaking the word of God to this group of people and he read it clearly and then after he read it clearly he gave the meaning why do we come to church so we can read the word of God and then hear what the meaning of the word of God is talking about but he doesn't stop there look at the last phrase verse number eight he says this and caused them to understand the reading understand the reading you know there's been many a time a person walked out the door and said you know pastor I've read that a hundred times and I did not know that that word meant that or what that verse was talking about when I was growing up, I liked the book of Proverbs, and I would read Proverbs where it talks about, um, oh, uh, without a vision, the people perish. You know the verse I'm talking about? But he that keepeth all happy is he. Forever, I've heard that verse talking about setting goals, where there is no vision, the people perish. Until one day, I looked at the second phrase, and it says, but happy that, uh, where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that, he that keepeth the law, happy is he. The first phrase, second phrase, the vision is not talking about goals. The vision is talking about the law in the second phrase. So what's he trying to say? He's trying to say where there is no book, where there is no word, where there is nothing, no law, where there's nothing from God, the people perish. Have you not figured out the devil wants you to get rid of your Bible? You know why? Where there is no book, where there is no law, where there is no vision, the people perish. The United States of America is going down a wrong course because they don't want to follow the book. They're trying to get rid of the book. They've already taken it out of the public school. You can't even put the Ten Commandments in a courthouse. Where there is no vision, where there's not the word of God. And I want to tell you, sometimes we come to church and we find out really what the meaning of those words are talking about. And then we understand and then we apply. So the first thing I see when you look at this church uh, service is that the, everybody was there. And everybody ought to come to church. Amen. Second thing, look at verse number one, uh, verse number one also with me. Here, look what else was there. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they, and they spake unto, what's his name? Ezra the scribe. In verse number two, and Ezra who? The priest. All right, so Ezra the scribe, Ezra the priest. And we know, we know in fact, let's just flip back. We're, we're okay on time this morning. Look at Ezra chapter uh, seven. Jump back one book of the Bible. Look at Ezra chapter seven. Look at verse number 10. A little bit more description of who Ezra was. While you're turning there, verse number six, this Ezra went up from Babylon. He was a ready scribe in the law of Moses. Verse number 10, Ezra 7, verse 10. And for Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. Now, I think we can all say pretty safely that Ezra was a man of God. He studied the word of God. God spoke through him. And when they got all the people together, guess what? who the people called for? They called for Ezra. Can I just tell you, when you have a church service, everybody ought to be there, but there ought to also, number two, be a man of God there. Hey, I want to tell you something. I know, I know this is going to sound very carnal, because I am, okay? This morning, I got up this morning, and I thought to myself, what would it be like to retire? I'm just telling you, I don't know why. I just thought that. I got up this morning, and I thought to myself, what would it be like to retire? Now, obviously, men at preachers don't really retire. At least I don't know how you can, but anyway, they don't really retire. Sometimes they change avenues as far as what they do. But, you know, I, to be honest with you, the reason I thought that is because every service is a pressure. I know if you've ever preached before, you don't really understand. 
that there, and there's several pressures. There's a pressure, number one, and that I'm preaching exactly what God wants. There's a pressure, number two, that I'm going to say something that I shouldn't. There's a pressure, number three, that you're not going to like it. It's just, it's just a pressure. I don't know how to explain it. I, it. And you say, well, you shouldn't be that way. Well, I am. I don't know to tell you. I just, there's just that pressure. And I thought to myself, what would it be like to get up and go to church like everybody else and just listen to the word of God? So I'm, I'm just letting you know I'm quitting next week. I'm done. All right. All right. Can I just tell you that when the man of God comes, and if a man of God is a man of God, the pressure is simply this, that, that there's a, there is a message for a people for a particular time. And I believe that this is the message for this particular time, for this particular place, for these particular people. But you don't understand there's a Sunday school hour and a morning service and an evening service and a Wednesday night service and every other time that I might speak that, that, that the, this is not a matter of, I think people need this. This is not a matter of, boy, this would really help somebody. It's never like that. It's always, God, what do you want for this hour, this people, for this service? I just want you to know, tonight, I am so relaxed knowing I'm not preaching tonight. I mean, I am looking to Brother, Brother Martin preach. I'm really looking forward to that. But you don't understand that when I am not behind the pulpit preaching, there is a pressure off of me because every service is we're supposed to meet with God and every service God's supposed to speak to us. And so, Can I just tell you, when a man of God gets up, he has to know that this is what God wants for his people and that he is right with God, that God can speak through him. Can I just tell you, why do we come to church? So that there can be somebody that will preach to us the word of God. All right, so everybody was there. There's a man of God there. Look what else was there in verse number one. Ezra the scribe, I'll just pick it up in verse one again. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man in the street that was before the water gate and spake unto Ezra the scribe. And what did they ask for? They asked for Ezra the scribe to bring what? I want you to know it does not say a book. I want you to notice it didn't say several books. I want you to notice that they said, we want you to bring the book. Now, I know that we're living in a day where there's a lot of other different translations of Scripture. If you haven't figured it out by now, we use the King James Bible here. I just want you to know as your pastor, I am fully convinced that the King James Bible is the Word of God for the English-speaking people. And again, I know we're not having a whole message on why we use the King James Bible. I, I never bash somebody else because you're using a, a different version of the Bible. I believe the King James Bible because there were two different manuscripts as far as the scriptures go. There was the Texas Receptus. There was the Vatican Sinaiticus. Those were the only two manuscripts that came as far as our, our Greek and Hebrew. And when it was translated into the English language, it's very interesting to me that everything that came from the Vatican Sinaiticus is every other version except the King James Bible. And the only version that came from the Texas Receptus is the King James Bible. It is also very interesting to me that the Texas Receptus version is not copywritten, that you can go to a copy machine and copy it because nobody's making money off of it, but every other version of the Bible is copywritten, which means it's man's words, not God's word. I'm just telling you, I'm convinced, okay? And listen, I, I, when I preach out, I'm not out there to preach on what version of the Bible you use. I'm just telling you from here, I believe that we have the book. I don't believe we have a book. I don't believe we have several books. I believe that we have the book, which is the word of God. If I didn't believe that, then why are we here? If we don't believe that, why do we pass out tracts, give a gospel to somebody? Why do we give our, give our tithes and offerings? Why do we even show up for church? If the Bible's not the word of God, then let's all go home. Amen. We believe the book is the word of God. We believe that God speaks to us. And, and because of the power of the word of God, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, we believe that the word of God does something inside of us. Amen. It cleanses me from the inside out. It changes my thinking. It causes me to do something because of the power of the word of God. That's why you read it on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and throughout the week, and not just on Sunday. 
That's why when we come together, we're not here to see what the pastor says. We're here to what God speaks through his word to us from. When it comes to the church service, there should be everybody there. When it comes to the church service, there ought to be a man of God there. When it comes to the church service, there ought to be the word of God there. Psalm chapter 12, verse 6 says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt, listen to this, thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Now think about that. When, when the psalmist wrote that God would preserve his word from this generation forever, then he either did it or he didn't. All right? So if God preserved his word, then, we, then his word has to be somewhere. Because he promised it would always be forever. And I believe that God has preserved his word for us. There's no doubt about it. So the word of God needs to be there, all right? Quickly, again, I know we're running through this uh, quickly. This, I want you to see something else. Look at verse number two and three with me, all right? And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women and all what? What does it say? And all that could understand. Same phrase is used again in verse number three. In the middle of the verse, it says, before the men and the women and those that could understand. Now, I mean, here's what I take from that, and if you take something different from that, you can help me later, I guess. But for God to say men, women, and all that could understand, I'm pretty sure the children were there. Amen. Men, women, all that could understand. Skylar, how old are you? Twelve, 12 years old? I think Skylar can understand. Now listen, I can't tell you exactly what age that the light comes on as far as our children when it comes to understanding, but in our, our church services, I think we allow uh, evening services, or is it, it's three on up, I'm correct on that, three on up is when the kids start to come in here. Mark, are you in here? Mark's in junior church. Who's got a three-year-old? Anybody? Is it three on, am I correct on that? So three on up, they start to be in here. Right now, they're in primary church and junior churches right now for the morning service, but for the evening service, for the Wednesday night service, parents, can I just tell you, I feel like that we make a major mistake when we bring our children into the church service and you hand them a pad of paper and say color. If they can understand, they need to listen. All right? Hey, listen, I know I'm getting older. I know I'm starting to preach longer. But can I tell you something? There's a lot longer preachers than me. Believe me, I've sat through the services. Those kind of preachers give new meaning to the word eternity. But I'm just trying to tell you, our children need the word of God. And as, as they grow up, you say, well, you know, they're kind of fidgety. I know they're going to be fidgety. Sometimes you're going to have to take them out and have a counseling session. Amen. But can I just tell you that it's important for our kids to hear the word of God. And I'm just telling you from this passage here that, that if they were with understanding. Now, listen, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say it in passing. I know there's some people that don't like nurseries, and they think that all the kids should be in the service. And that's fine. That's not a problem. But like we had the ladies' retreat, I'm listening to the ladies' retreat through, through Mercy and Truth Radio while the ladies' retreat's going on because I'm not a woman. That's why I'm not in here. But all the ladies are in here, and there's two or three babies in here, and they're making all kinds of noise, and I can hear them through the Mercy and Truth Radio. They were so loud. Okay? Now, I don't know about you, but isn't it just as easy to go to those back doors, watch from the outside, listen from the outside, instead of your child causing everybody that's in the area of you to not be able to pay attention to the service? I know it's a little offensive, especially if you have a child. By the way, if you don't have children, this doesn't mean much to you. But if you start to have children, you, get, you start to wear a chip on your shoulder. Okay? All I know is the kids that were in the service were the ones with understanding, and he says that very specifically. All right? I don't know what age they get to that understanding, but I kind of figured out at nine months they don't have much understanding. They can't even control their bladder, let alone their mouth. I didn't mean to say that, I guess, but... I have caused so many offenses 
over this one area, and I don't mean to be offensive. Hey, can I just tell you that if your kid's not crying in a church service and all they do is smile, they still take everybody's attention? I don't know how many times I'm preaching. I mean, by the way, I cannot remember the last time I asked somebody to leave unless, somebody is, unless the child is making noise. Because sometimes people bring their children here, and I'm going to do my best not to say anything, okay? It's not my preference. Uh, by the way, there are Baptist churches will not let you in the, in the door. They say, well, if you're going to bring your baby and you can't come, we've never done that. Okay? But I will say, if your baby is distracting, would you please take the baby out? But can I just tell you, sometimes it's not the kid making noise, it's the kid smiling. So here she's got the kid on her shoulder and the kid smiling. And Listen, I'm from the pulpit and I can see what's going on. She's sitting here with the baby on her going this way. And the kid is smiling at the person behind him. And the whole row behind them is making faces at the baby. <laughs> and I'm preaching to this row of retarded people <laughs> making faces at the baby. I'm just trying to say, I'm not going to condemn you if you want to bring. And I understand in your heart, I want my children to be in the service. And I'm thankful for that, okay? But when you look at the scripture here, it's that they came to a place where they could understand. And I know three is not a magic number. But there has to be a time that we bring our children to church because they must be around preaching. So when it comes to this church service that we look at, everybody was there. The man of God was there. The word of God was there. The children were there. All right, look at your Bible and I'll look quickly. Verse number four. It says, and Ezra the scribe stood upon a, what? Pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose, all right? In verse number five, I'm not going to read all those guys' names. I know that's funny, but I, I don't, it's, I'm just going to mess them all up. But, you know, you ever go into a church service and they had guys all sitting behind them when the preaching was going on? I honestly think that's where they get this. Because these guys were behind Ezra while he's reading the word of God. And I just want to tell you why I don't keep the Barney and Josh. They would be sleeping while I'm preaching a bad testimony, all right? <laughs> So I, I just make sure that they, you know, sit in the crowd. I have never had the guys behind me. I just, I honestly, I guess my, my thinking is if I'm going to preach to people, I want to be able to see them. And so that's why I've never put people behind. But there's a lot of churches that do that. There's nothing wrong with that. And these guys were behind Ezra. Look what he says in verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. Now, Trisha, when we built this auditorium, um, I read a lot of books before, before we designed this auditorium. And I have figured out, just from reading from different people, that uh, the last pew needs, from where the pulpit is, needs to be 60 feet from where the pulpit is. Because after 60 feet, you lose people, and people don't use the altar. Uh, just, just as a general rule, that the farther you're away from the pulpit of the preaching of God's word, you have a tendency not to pay attention, and you have a tendency never to use the altar. Alrighty? So when we designed this auditorium, I made sure from that pulpit to that pole was exactly 60 feet. Because I want people to be attentive and not miss what the Lord has. And I also want them to feel free like they can use the, use the, use the, uh, use the uh, altar. Church, I'm going to tell you, the altar is important for you. Amen. It's important for me. If God does something in my life, there is nobody taking pictures. There's nobody keeping a record. It's free between you and God for you to kneel before God because God did something in your life. That, that's important for you. So Ezra, when he's preaching, he's on a pulpit of wood. I also figured out that for every 10 feet back, I needed to make sure that I had seven inches up. So the reason um, we put this many um, uh, stairs in is because for every 10 feet, I needed one step 
so that every person in the auditorium would be able to see. What was the reason Ezra was on a pulpit with wood? So he could be seen. Church, I, mean, I know this is just me, okay, and I can't really give a Bible verse on this, but the one reason I like this particular pulpit, and I, and when we, I grew up, when I came here, we had a box pulpit, and there's nothing wrong with a box pulpit, but a preacher preaches with his expression and his body, and I don't mean that in a bad way. We stomp with our foot. We clap with our hands. There's, there's movement as far as we preach. And when you look at the Apostle Paul, the Bible says about Paul more than once, he beckoned with the hand. So there's something about preaching that a person needs to be seen to show the intensity about what we're talking about. So when the Bible says that, we, again, using this as an example, Ezra was above the people, not because he was somebody, but because of what he was talking about was something. It was important, all right? So again, there was preaching. And uh, church, I mean, I've had scores of messages, so let me just make a couple statements. We'll go on to the next thing. But preaching, um, in my opinion, and I don't know who coined the phrase, but preaching is teaching with an explanation point. Amen. Teaching is the giving of facts. Preaching is the exhortation of those facts. Amen. It's like, this is important. That's what preaching is. Uh, listen, you need to leave here and say, oh, I learned something today. But you all need, also need to say, hey, I left here today and God spoke to me. I left here today and God moved me in my life. In other words, I don't want to be the same person that I was when I came as when I left. There's something about preaching. Do you understand when Paul in 2 Timothy said, there's going to come a day where people are going to give themselves to teaching, having itching ears. In other words, we're living in that day, by the way. I know, I know there's a place for teaching. I know we need teaching, but to be honest with you, I'm not... I struggle with teaching. I'm talking about just teaching. They asked me uh, this week to come teach on the Sunday school in Hammond. And they were, um, I, I made a handout. I said, how many people? So they told me 550 people. So I, I made 550 copies. And I said, okay. And I'm, I was going to teach. But I'm not comfortable with teaching. I taught on the Sunday school. But before I taught on the Sunday school, I preached on Nehemiah chapter 8. Because you know what? There's just something about preaching that moves us to action. Do we need the informational fact? Yes. Do we, need, do we need teaching in our life to understand why we do what we do? Yes, teaching is important. But it doesn't take, take the way fact that Paul said very, very clearly that God has called me to preach. That means to herald. That means to cry aloud. Preaching. Then we need preaching. And that preaching will entail reproof, rebuke, and exhort. But again, all of those things. Quickly, let me show you one, more, one or two more things here. Look at verse number six. If you're still with me, say what? Amen. It's a good thing because that's what he does next. Look at verse number six. It says, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, what two words? Amen. With lifting up their hands, they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. All right? Now, we're not going to have you get up or anything, but let's practice. The first thing they said, those two words, say it again. Amen. And then they lifted up their hands, lift your hands up. Pentecostal service. All right? Good, good. All right? And it says they bowed their faces to the ground because they were worshiping the Lord. Now, church, I know, I know that today in our society, people get a little, oh, you know, I'm a northerner. I'm from Chicago. I mean, just that area. And I'm not, um, I'm not get up and run. I've been in services before where the guy next to me, uh, in front of me, got up and ran, pulled his hanky out, raving his hanky, shouting amen. The preacher's preaching. He's running around, and I'm thinking I am embarrassed. Some of you are like me. I don't, I'm not the one that's going to be the loudest amen, okay? But the word amen just simply means I agree, amen. all right? So if I say the Bible you hold in your hand is the word of God, you should say, amen. and it might not be amen. It might just simply be 
Amen. Amen. I like it. See, how old is he? Four years old. He caught it. He has understanding. Nice guy. I like it. Hey, ladies, I know it's not your nature to say amen, but can I tell you something? You respond without knowing you're responding, okay? Can I just tell you, a smile is a response. A nodding your head is a response. Elbowing your husband is a response. Can I just tell you that when it comes to the preaching of God's word, we're not in a funeral home. This is a church service. I agree with what the Bible says, and I agree that God's the greatest, and I agree that I'm saved and I'm on my way to heaven, and I agree. What were they saying? Amen. I agree with that. Amen. I agree with that. And then they bowed their head and worshiped to God. There was participation in the service. Listen, be careful that you don't get to the place where, well, it's just not my nature. But you're saved. And inside you do agree. You know, when you talk about things that are sensitive, it gets really quiet. And I don't like talking about the sensitive nature of things. All right? I know, I know it gets real sensitive. If I talk about how a man ought to dress like a man and a woman dress like a woman, it gets really quiet. If I talk about giving and how you ought to give your tithe, your offering emissions, in a lot of cases, it'll get really quiet. And I don't, like, I, don't, I don't ever want to be offensive to people, but I do believe the book, and I believe the Bible teaches about all things. You know, if I, preach on, if I say something on abortion, amen, that's right, shouldn't be killing those babies. But when you start to talk about where people are living, it's a little quiet. Hey, I want to tell you something. You ought to participate in a service. And I'm talking about from beginning to end. This, I, I don't really want to shake hands with people. Can I just tell you something? You got to shake hands anyway. If you don't like shake hands, fist bump. If you don't like that, punch them in the face. I don't care, but do something. You ought to participate when it comes to the singing. If you don't know the songs, pick up a songbook. If you know the songs, sing. Uh, I don't sing very good. I'm afraid of what people are going to think of me. You didn't come here to find out what people think about you. You came here to praise the Lord. And we just had a Sunday school lesson that we found out that the reason God came down in a Shekinah glory and filled the tabernacle was right after they sang. Sing. You ought to participate in the service. You ought to bring your Bible to church. You know, you know why? Because that's participation. When the pastor says, turn to Nehemiah, well, I don't even know where Nehemiah is. I promise you it's in the book. They make this table of content in the very front. Just act like you don't, you know, you're looking for something else. Oh, found you. Oh, what page? And, and look it up. Hold your Bible. When it comes to reading, well, I'm not a good reader. Do the best you can. Participate. That's what they did. They participated. During a church service, stay awake. When I was in college, I had a hard time staying awake during services. I worked at UPS uh, during the night, and then I'd go to school in the day. So when it came to church time, I'm telling you, I felt like I was going to die. And they had long services where at the first college I went to, they had long services. In, in, in my opinion, too long. It's just my opinion. But they were just long, all right? Forgive me. I'm not trying to be critical. Hopefully they'll straighten that up one of these days. But anyway. So I would sit in a service, and I'm just telling you I'm so stinking tired, and I'm a college student. I, I've done everything. You hold your, your leg off the ground about three inches because when it hits the ground, it kind of wakes you up. I'm just telling you, I was so tired sometimes. I held my legs up, and I know I went to sleep. If that didn't work, I took a pen, and I would stab my thigh. I just, oh, man, i got to wake up. I mean, I did all kinds of things to try to stay awake. I mean, 
I mean, other than drinking alcohol, I did everything I could. I mean, I chewed gum. I just, I mean, I just, whatever I had to do, because not only is this a bad testimony, you can't get from God spiritually if you're not awake physically. Now, most of you have been in church long enough. I don't call adults down, and I haven't for a long, long time. I don't know that I ever, if I had, I don't remember when. My dad did. Mrs. Erler sat on the, Mrs. Erler sat on the front row, and my dad threw a songbook at her. I know, it's not the kind of church you'd be in. That's why I don't throw songbooks. But she's sitting right, I'll never forget. Hey, Mrs. Erler didn't fall asleep ever again. And my, Brother Coe, you remember that? Were you there when, she, when dad did that? I remember Mrs. Erler one time, she had got one of those fangled new watches where the chime goes off every hour. Well, my dad, he preached long. And so it went past noon. It's 1127 right now. It went past noon and the chime went off. My dad went down from the pulpit and said, give it to me. <laughs> she gave it to him. <laughs> he walked back up to the pulpit. I'll never forget. Brother Coat, I don't remember this or not. Brother Coat was in Sock Village years ago when I was there. Brother Mr. Coat. Mrs. Erler walks up to my dad at the end of the service and says, can I have my watch back? He said, no, it shouldn't have went off in my service. <laughs> I thought that was a one-time deal until when I got to be a teenager, I went to my dad's office and pulled his middle drawer out. He had tons of watches in there. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. And some of you think I mean, no. There needs to be participation when we come to the house of God. You ought to make sure, you ought to be friendly, you ought to sing, you ought to preach. I'm sorry, I'm preaching. You, you ought to... You ought to say amen. You ought to agree. Last but, last but not least, again, we're done. Um, I want you to jump down, uh, jump up to verse number, uh, jump down to verse number nine. Um, last phrase, verse number nine says, for all the people wept. Last phrase, verse nine, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Verse 10, then he said unto them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. Jump down to verse 12. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth because they had understanding, or I'm sorry, because they understood the words that were declared unto them. Church, I mean, you know what ought to happen when you come, uh, there ought to be an application or, uh, to what takes place. You know what ought to happen when it comes to the church service here? And I know every service isn't like that. I've sat through thousands of church services also. If there's 52 Sunday schools, 52 morning, 52 evening, 52 Wednesday nights, that's 208 Two, four, six, eight. That's 208 services in a year, plus missions conference, plus revival. You know, you're probably going to be close to 220, maybe 230, 230 services. If you go to school, you're going to be in chapel twice a week. You're going to go to hundreds of church services. But you know what church really ought to do? It ought to cause something that when you came to church, that when you left, you did something with what you got. I read the story, and you probably have heard it before, but a guy wrote into a newspaper, and he says, I don't, I'm paraphrasing, he says, I don't know why people go to church. He says the most ridiculous thing in the world. They go to church Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, they hear all of these different services, and there is no way. It just, he said, it, just, it does no good for a person to go to church that much. That's what he wrote into the, to the editor of the paper. 
another person wrote in and said, I've been married to my wife for 60 years. She says, my wife has made me meals, breakfast, made a lunch for me, sent me to work. I come home, I've had a meal. He said, for 60 years, I've had her meals, breakfast, lunch, and supper. And he says, I can't tell you every meal. But he says, I'm alive today because of what I've eaten. He says, I might not be able to remember every service or every message, but every message has kept me alive spiritually so that I can be what God wants me to be. And I know every service is not going to be transforming. It's not like you leave the service even today and say, man, wasn't that a good... No. But the Word of God does something to give you food spiritually that you need. Church is important. Church is important. And the church service is important. So, as is mentioned in the New Testament, we're going to have an altar call, an invitation, so that we can pray and talk to the Lord and say, okay, Lord, this is what you spoke to me about. Please forgive me, help me, guide me, direct me. Maybe you're carrying a special burden. Church is a perfect place to give it to the Lord. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Hanks, that's a wonderful message on the church, but can I just tell you the most important message is that Jesus loved you and died for you. Are you saved this morning? I don't know how many people we talk to and we say, do you know for sure any way to heaven? I think so. Uh, I'm pretty sure. If you do not know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you died today, you go to heaven, then you ought to let someone take a Bible and show you how. If you ask me my name, am I going to stand up here and say, I can't remember, is it Fred, John, it might be Scott, I don't know. No, I know what my name is. Do you know if you died today, you'd go to heaven? If you don't, would you please let somebody, man, woman, if you're a woman, let a woman show you, man, let a man, would you let somebody take a Bible and take five minutes to show you how you can know? Would you bow your head and close your eyes this morning?